Hey everyone, it's Chad. Welcome back to Mission Daily. We have a giveaway for everyone that enters. You can win a prize at mission.org slash books. Steph, what can people win? Books that you love. Do you want to read like a CEO? Chad has a bookshelf that probably has, I was actually calculating in my head how much you've probably spent on books because there's so many in our studio. I'd say there's probably 500 here. So a fraction. You, this is, you don't even know about the hidden libraries oh, I have stored oh in my parents' garage. Oh, I forgot about that. Well, anyways, it's called Read Like a CEO because we are taking books off of Chad's bookshelf and we are putting it in a giveaway. Books are the best investment in yourself. And the reason why we wanted to do this giveaway, I recently started paying myself a salary. Yay, woo! And which is a major milestone. And I wanted to immediately give back to everyone out there that's listening that has helped us get where we're at. And it's really exciting. So this is my way of saying thank you to the listeners. So at mission.org slash books, uh, I picked out a number of books from my bookshelf and the top 30 people who enter. And you can see how to get more entries, all that stuff at mission.org slash books. Uh, but the top 30 people who enter get to pick one book from this list and I'll mail you a physical copy. I'll buy it. The next 15 get three books. So if you're in the top 15, you get three books from the list, your picks. And if you're in the top five, you get five books each. So this is pretty cool. And you can get more entries for every single email uh, subscriber you refer. Yep. And stay tuned for the next little ad segment because we will tell you why Chad picked some of these books oh, to get you excited. And mission.org slash books, go there, enter. And everyone who enters is going to get a copy of 100 Business Ideas. That's an ebook we created with 100 ideas to start making more money and yeah, maybe even start a business uh, this weekend. Yep. So enter the giveaway and good luck. May good. the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm Jeffrey Wright, and you're listening to Mission Daily. Selected as best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Daily. Today's guest is Elizabeth Gore. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Likewise, it's great to have you here. And we were talking a little bit before the call about how you got connected with Salesforce. Would you mind just retelling that story a little bit? Because it's a common connection. We're a partner of theirs. And yeah, I would just love to hear how you got connected with them. So I think what might be replacing the golf course of connections and networking <laughs> is doing good for the world, particularly in California. So our company was supporting the Global Climate Action Summit recently in Salesforce was obviously a huge part of that. And uh, at the final dinner, I sat between Mark Hawkins and Mark Benioff, the two Marks leading Salesforce. And we got to talking and, and they were really excited about Salesforce's impact on small business owners with their new product, Salesforce Essentials. And Alice, our whole goal is to help small business owners launch and grow. So um, the rest is a bit history. We, we started working together with uh, Meredith Schmidt, the, the new head of Essentials, and now we have a joint passion for what we call the new majority. The majority of business owners that are women, people of color, our veterans, LGBTQ community. So, so sometimes doing good for the world definitely pays you right back. I'm relieved because I no longer have to try to get good at golf or pretend that I like it. So <laughs> there you that's, go. Uh, there you go. 
it's uh, great for everyone. Uh, and I'm excited about those things as well. So when you get up in the morning and work on and lead Alice, how are you thinking about changing the world of business? Are you thinking about that? What's keeping you motivated? So what keeps me motivated is one owner at a time. So I get I get a lot of emails. I love our, our Alice at Hello Alice and owners who maybe are struggling, but they found the resource they need. Maybe they got a connection to a funder. I particularly love stories of folks who have overcome distinctive obstacles. So that's what gets me motivated in the morning. In the middle of the day, what gets me motivated at scale is how do we go from that one that I worry about all night to scaling to help millions. So, you know, that's my second cup of coffee, I guess. (laughs) So when it comes to coffee or inputs throughout your day, how are you going about keeping a healthy mindset? Because you know, the things that we put into our bodies or the exercise we get or don't get, it influences a lot of what we're able to accomplish. So how are you thinking about health and uh, diet and things like that as it relates to leading a business? So I think a good night's sleep is the new cocaine. I, I tell you what, if, if, I, bold, if, I get eight hours, if I get eight hours of sleep, I can literally do anything. And, you know, I have a startup, I have two small children, I have a very dynamic husband, very engaged in our community, there's just so much going on. And I find I can handle that balancing act if I rest. And when I don't rest, it just all seems to break apart. So rest has become particularly in my 40s, something that is just critical to me. And then I exercise a lot, actually, I'm a pretty amped person. And so it's also my time. It's literally my only time alone. So, you know, it's, it's both selfishly helps me, but my co-founder actually will be like, Elizabeth, you need to go for a run. You're driving me crazy. So, you know, I think those are, those are important. And then every once in a while, my husband and I remind each other that we need to remember to have fun. Be silly. We live in wine country, take advantage of it. You know, we, we like our jobs. We like to work, but sometimes you'll work much better if you kind of get the stink off and have a little bit of Definitely. So you mentioned a lot there and I would love to go back to your family life because it sounds like you're not only very active with them, but you have a, a relationship that you take very, very seriously there. Prioritizing relationships and business is really, really tricky. And everybody seems to have a different philosophy for work-life balance or integration or just their, their life in general. Do you have any philosophies or tips you can share for other business owners who are wondering, how on earth am I going to balance this? How am I going to keep my family and relationships healthy? Well, first of all, it it is not a balance. It's a balancing act, right? So some days you're going to tip to the right. Some days you're going to tip to the left. And what, what I find as well is no matter how focused, planned, and strategic you are, something's going to happen, right? Our business is split between our employees are in Houston, San Francisco, and Sonoma County. We had Hurricane, we had Harvey come and flooded out our employees in Houston. We then had the fires in Sonoma County, which shut down everything for almost six weeks. And so my my point in that is you have to be resilient and one, have a good network around you. So your personal network, right? So who's your, either your family or your closest friends. And then in your business, 
you know, I, I do not believe in that everyone is irreplaceable. You have to be able to hand off responsibilities or turn to someone else and to, to achieve that balance. Uh, and then finally, providing an environment for that balance is important. So everyone knows if, if anyone's child needs something, there's not even a question. I don't even need a note. I'll see you tomorrow, right? Sure. But we have to put systems in place so whatever that person was doing, it can keep going, right? You know, I really believe in this build an environment around you and your business that can handle you taking a break or a natural disaster or whatever it, you need to be healthy, both you individually and your company. And I think that is so important for business owners to remember that, you know, key woman problems or key man problems, you have to avoid those at all costs. How do you think about training your team members or professional development? Is there anything that you do that you like your team to do? How are you thinking about growing people? Oh, man, absolutely. There's a lot. You know, one of the things that we ask our team members is, what do you want to learn in this job to prepare you for the next one? I mean, gone are the days that folks are 20 to 30 years in the same company. So while you're with us, one, I hope you give us 100%, but what skill set is it that's going to not just look good on the resume, but are you personally going to learn that will set you up for success in the future? And that is very different for different people, right? We have a lot of engineers that we employ and a skill set they're looking for is very different than someone who maybe who's in external affairs. But you also have to be very overt about that. Everyone's very busy. That's not very intuitive. So, you know, saying, you know, in this quarter, do you have a goal to join Toastmasters and become a better public speaker, right? Or are you, is it more about your health and wellness? Do you need, this sounds basic, but it's important, particularly for our, our technical staff. Do you want a standing desk? Do you want to, you know, make sure that we're, if we're peer programming, there's set breaks to go outside? I mean, there are a zillion things that people need to focus on, but you have to be very intentional about it because we're all so busy. They'll just, I think, fly past. And then the other thing that we try and instill in everyone is everyone takes out the trash. We have a big company motto that everyone needs to learn how to make the entire company succeed, whether that's taking the role of something from the CEO or it's ensuring that our space looks appropriate and it's clean. So uh, it's, I think, a, a model that we live by. I love that. So let's go back to, you mentioned your network earlier, and I think how you built your network is fascinating. So in doing some research, I discovered that you, to land one of your early careers or early jobs, I should say, you cold called Kathy Calvin at the UN Foundation. And this That's is something- so funny, yes, I did. I, I love hearing this because- I'm a big proponent of great cold emails and great cold calls. I think this is such an important skill for really anyone to master because the biggest impediment to building your network is often just getting over the fear and picking up the phone or writing that email. Can you tell me about how you've built your network? And yeah, if you want to tell that story, we would love to hear it. Yeah. So um, I do believe your network is your greatest asset over the life of your career and that you have no idea when and where that network might serve you. And also you need to serve it, which I'll come back to. So I am kind of, I think, indicative of our generation to where I was in the public sector, I've been in private, I've been in government. I think all of us will kind of 
shift, which is great. You know, some people want to step into public service for a while. And so, when, but when you do that, you're not in that traditional climbing of the ladder, right? So to me, your network is that ladder. I had a, the great fortune to meet some pretty amazing people, but, but in short spurts. I worked for former President Bush 41 for a while at his front desk, not any big highfalutin job at Texas A&M when they were building their library. And then, but I met a lot of people walking through that front door and ended up giving me the opportunity to get a master's and move to DC with the Points Light Foundation. While I was there, we raised money from Kathy Calvin, who was at the time at AOL Time Warner. And I just thought she was incredible and a great leader. And I while I was at Points of Light and then Share Our Strength in the nonprofit sector, I ended up joining the Peace Corps and everyone thought I was crazy for going overseas when I really had a nice kind of fast-paced career in D.C., but it was a goal of mine. But I ended up writing prolific letters back mm. to all these contacts. A, there's not a lot to do in the Peace Corps <laughs> every day. This is pre-email, cell phone being common. So, I, you know, I did keep in contact, and I think it was maybe a little bit unique that these executives were getting a, a physical letter in the mail from someone in the middle of the bush, right? So when I did get back, I was shocked to see that Kathy was at the United Nations Foundation supporting the UN and called through the front desk. I remember Elisa Townsend was the woman who ran the front desk, still does, and asked to be connected, left a voicemail, and she called me back. And what, what I went in to get advice from her, not to necessarily work with the UN. I didn't think I was qualified for the UN. And then uh, I was there nine years. So wow. <laughs> I never left. And she, Kathy, w continued to be my mentor and still is, frankly, through that whole process. I love that. And a I guess stamp that... is very powerful. I tell people, people are so not used to getting phone calls or letters anymore. And I still Agreed. stand behind the handwritten letter, the stamp. I used to use tactics where if you're trying to get in the still works, by the way, to an executive, you actually send a FedEx that needs a signature. That works. Um, people very rarely leave voicemails on desk phones. So those stand out. So, so these are things, as long as you're genuine, are important. And one other thing I just want to say, your network also, you need to think about how to give back to it, right? So, you know, I have now proud to say that I have supported her in a lot of her efforts with my contacts and so on. So make sure it's not a one-way relationship, ensuring that a lot of reporters that we talk to a lot, I'm always sending, here's a great story, here's a great story, here's a great story, before I say, hey, would you tell our story? So. Just that kind of give take is important. Such a good reminder. And I think that some of the uh, entrepreneurial skills and practices that you just described, they kind of bring us to when you were an entrepreneur in residence at Dell. So this is something that I think is fascinating that I, I would love to hear you talk about a little bit because this is a pretty, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur in residence anywhere is a pretty coveted position. I think it's really, really cool. So how did you get that opportunity? How did you create it? And uh, what did you do there? Absolutely. So um, in my last couple of years, four years with the UN, we developed a lot of programming with and for entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs and very small micro business and refugee camps all the way up to how are we engaging G20 entrepreneurs like, like a mayor or a Zuckerberg or a Musk on solving global problems. And so we created the UN Global Entrepreneur Council. And with that, 
we asked Michael Bell to be our first global advocate or ambassador for entrepreneurship. And so my job was to develop that relationship. And we also propped up a fund with Jeff Skoll, which was really exciting to help invest in social entrepreneurs. At the time, Dell was going from public to private, which really surprised people. And it, it was going to allow him and the company to make bold investments in different types of infrastructure, accelerators, anything bolstering small business. So it was the most shocking phone call that I got of would I come over as their second entrepreneur residence. They pick one every few years. Hmm. And I was moving at the time. I had also just found out that I was pregnant. And I, I, I called him back and just said, I don't think I can do this. You know, we're moving across the country. I'm pregnant. And they called back and said, we want you to take the job. We'll hold it for you. Take your maternity leave. It was just their values were so impressive to me. So I got to be there three years. And my job was to look across the globe and figure out both how to advocate for small business owners with different governments, but also where was, should we be putting as Dell our time, resources, uh, and technology to bolster small business. And it was a hell of an experience. That's very cool. And I'm sure that those experiences helped shape and kind of like lead you towards the idea that became Alice. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got the idea for Alice when things kind of crystallized and how you started the business? Absolutely. So Alice was the vision of my co-founder, Carolyn Rod, uh, an extraordinary woman. She is, ironically, she is Bolivian where I was in the Peace Corps. Uh, even though we did not meet there, but she's a three-time over Latina entrepreneur who really felt like she learned in her first company, which failed, that she needed to be networked in a stronger way to get access to capital, everything she needed. So when she did that, her second business was very successful. And so we actually met at, a, a, we met through a friend, mutual friend, and then we both ended up at the same summit. And uh, we were sitting in a tent and she started talking about the, this whole notion of the opportunity around the lack of access to women and people of color. And I was like, I don't understand that. And she said, well, if women are only getting 2% of venture capital, to me, that's a 98% opportunity to jump into that industry because you know they're going to be successful. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant <laughs> looking at the upside of this versus the downside. And so I called her a couple of weeks later and said, I'm so interested in you, whatever you're building, love to talk, come into Dell. This is my job is to find new ideas and platforms. So we chatted and she had a whole notion that she's, she's very technical, that she could use AI to actually remove bias and push resources. And at the time she was thinking of just women. And I was, I just thought it was brilliant. So we supported her and then I got really excited about it and called her back and said, I personally wanted to end. And so just got the capital to ideate a little bit. And then after we, a few months later, we were in a coffee shop in New York. She presented the whole thing. And before my coffee drained to the bottom, I said, I want to in half the company. This is <laughs> genius. And we literally agreed right there over coffee, I think in Soho. It didn't have it. Don't do this, by the way. But we did not have a signed agreement for like a year, which is terrible. Don't do that. But we just trusted each other. And Carolyn is highly technical. I'm more external and growth oriented. 
So we built Alice. We went and got capital from different environments. And I'll explain in a minute, but what's so interesting is after we launched Alice, and this is where your own assumptions are not necessarily correct, is a ton of men came onto Alice. Mm -hmm. And we had really overtly built Alice for women, by women, marketed as such. But we realized it was men of color, veterans, men who are in smaller towns. So we actually went back to the drawing board and realized that there are these barriers that are pretty systemic and there are patterns. And generally, folks are marginalized because of you know, one of six reasons. And so we rebuilt Alice to really figure out how to network individuals every individual. So now we're helping about 100,000 owners a day launch and grow. Alice is a totally free resource and we're really proud. And the majority of those owners are people that are in that new majority, women, people of color, vets, and so on. Are there any customer stories that you like to tell or that you feel are like, you know, these are the examples. This is why I do it. Absolutely. Um, my again, those are the people I think about. I either worry about her, them or I'm excited <laughs> about them in the middle of the night. So, you know, I think of pockets. So, we, you know, our latest real focus of building out technology has been entrepreneurs with disabilities. And that really came up because we were just getting all these email questions about have you found resources? I'm a paraplegic or I'm sight impaired or hearing impaired. So we actually went and built the whole AI component to match resources with people with different types of disabilities. And most of these companies are highly successful because they have found a niche or a problem that they can solve in scale. And it's a new group of individuals who I had not thought about as the next frontier. I don't know. It was just so exciting. I think they're definitely going to open up new new markets. And yeah, sorry for interrupting, oh, but I think there's there's markets that yeah, if you're you know fully able, it's going to be completely invisible to you, but they might be massive global markets. Massive, by the way. You're absolutely right. And technology allows for that, which is really, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of technology for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Our military spouses, you know, we found that, and that's men and women partners, that you know more than anyone, but with moving so much and shifting different markets, that we have found that if we provide... Uh, remote resources so that men and women who are spouses can continue their business ideas, particularly through e-commerce. That's a whole new frontier that I'm incredibly excited about. So, so really, I think about opportunities when it comes to different types of individuals and really leaning into people's strengths, mm-hmm. not disabilities, but strengths. And then I just get really excited. There is a cousin of mine who I very, rarely talk to in Comanche, Oklahoma, sent me a note and said, I've launched my bakery. I don't know if you knew, but I've been using Alice to do it. And I just was like, oh, it's so great. To uh, that's great. Oklahoma. I mean, it's so exciting. That's really exciting. And so for people listening who aren't familiar with just how important small business and startups are to the national and global economy, are there any stats and figures you like to cite about why small business and startups are so important? Well, let me count the ways. <laughs> Here I go. Over 70% of jobs in the United States are from small business owners. So if you think about it, you know, while our corporations are really important, small business owners are the biggest job creators. If you start getting out of major metropolitan areas, that number can go up to as high as 90%. Globally, 91% of jobs are from small business owners. So they are truly the backbone of our economy. 
The other thing that's very exciting right now, and this blows my mind, 543,000 businesses a month are launching in the U.S. right now, a month. Wow. And, you know, this is an innovation economy where we are technology enabled. And it, again, our customer set is the new majority. So the majority of those business owners, if you look collectively, are women, people of color, but some folks outside of major metropolitan areas. So there are economy drivers, there are innovators, there are employers, and they are, I think, the inspiration of our country. I agree. And especially too, I mean, these are hundreds of thousands of experiments that are going on at a local level to fix things. And it makes me be able to sleep a little bit easier at night, knowing that there's so many other entrepreneurs that are taking uh, risks as well. Let's switch gears here a little bit. I know it's hard for any business owner or entrepreneur to talk about this, but what are some of the uh, dark nights of the soul or moments where you just had a really hard time? Are, are there any that you are able to share? Yeah, there's there's a lot. And I think these are important to share. I mean, someone asked me the other day, if you made the strongest cocktail ever, what would it be called? And I named it cash flow. <laughs> I think that cash flow is probably what keeps every owner up at night. I actually asked Michael Dell once what stresses you out the most. And he said cash flow. And I was like, oh, my God, even when you're a billion wow. dollar company, it's still there. And I think what people don't realize with cash flow, it's not about how much you make, it's when money comes in and paying your employees. And I care so much that our employees are taken care of that you know, that is something you don't mess up on. So as a growing business, you know, it's really hard. And, and I will say, just plug really quickly, you know, I would love to see policies in the U.S. where enterprise companies have to pay small business owners within 30 days. It is so that a, was... It's very difficult. It's so, so difficult sometimes. And so just for perspective, we're a relatively new new business. Last year was our first full year in business. We had a great first year. Things were awesome. But I think it was about 80% of our revenue didn't come in until the final weeks of December. And it was very challenging because it was brutal. And it wasn't until the end of the year that we were able to get the net 60 dropped to net 30, which is still pretty challenging. And I do think that there's a wave of executives now inside tech companies who have felt this pain. So as we talk to new prospective clients, many of them are small business owners or they've been in startups before where cash flow has almost killed the business. Is there any advice you have for small business owners or you know executives right now who are struggling with cash flow and want to get creative or they want to take a step towards solving that issue? Yes, three things. So one is don't just take a form contract from an enterprise company. You can negotiate that contract. I think a lot of folks would be surprised with, I mean, I'll give a shout out to Salesforce. We're like, hey, can we, before we sign this contract, can we do our, a shorter payment file? And the, and the answer was yes. You know, they're yes. just handing us what the form is, right? And they did the Second same thing is, for us and fixed a, yeah. a huge amount of our problems. So kudos yep. to them. So there, for folks who have manufacturing, so physical products, there, there is a, a growing industry called factoring mm -hmm. that I highly recommend folks look at. So that is that you work with a bank who does receivables for you, and they can float, they can float that cash as long as it's signed. And usually it's a 1% or 2%, but I think it's really interesting. And then the third thing is, while you have money, get a line of credit. 
it's hard to get a line of credit when you don't have money, but when you do have it, and I like a line of credit because if you don't use it, you don't pay anything on it. It's right. not like a loan. And so I think that is something that can really help small businesses in those in-between moments. So, so anyway, so cash flow for me, you know, being an entrepreneur has extreme highs and lows and it can be within the hour. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. Every conference we host, mental health and personal health and personal relationships is generally the most attended workshop. And I think as entrepreneurs, we are, we are so driven, but it's also very isolating. Either you're protecting a failed moment, we'll call it from your employees, from your spouse from your customers. So you kind of hold all that in. And, you know, I, I remember I lost our biggest customer and I was devastated. I mean, it took me a week and it also was, it was a signed contract. It was a bit of a crawfish, I guess is the way to say that. So I was also disappointed in, in these people and, and disappointed for my team. And, you know, that kind of stuff's really hard to get over. So, you know, I, I think that it can be isolating and really tough and, you just got to get through it and go to the other side. Firing employees. I never take that lightly. It is very hard. Uh, you yeah, the the first it. time I had, had to do it, I was just sick to my stomach. And afterwards, I just felt just like a horrible person, even though I knew it was the best answer. But um, yeah, any, you know, any advice you have you for have that? Your, yeah, I mean, first of all, it, it is normal. So yeah. <laughs> I, that's when you go from a startup team to a scale-up team, it is very common that those are not going to be the same set of people, not everybody, but so just, you know, and, and my thing is dignity and grace, but also concise mm-hmm. and moving on. But it's certainly not something I take lightly and, it, and it's hard and it, it's hard all the way in the lead up the day of the week after, you know, so certainly dark moments. But also, you know, they're balanced out with bright ones. So definitely. So as an entrepreneur and a leader, how do you think about coaching or blowing off steam or kind of like just keeping your mindset healthy? Do you just have conversations with friends? Do you work with a coach? What's your practice there? Yeah. So I have these two little minions in my life, my children, and they're four and seven and they're you know, they're awesome. So when I'm with them, you know, it's not even that I'm disciplined enough not to have my phone. They absolutely demand full attention in a good way. And so, you know, I always say, if you want a productive, very objective human, hire a working mom. And I had children later and I completely agree with that now. So there, there's certainly that. And then I have a great partner. I mean, my husband is so supportive and I can laugh or cry or complain or, or whatever. But I also have my work husband, my work spouse. So I have a great co-founder and I do recommend to anyone starting a business to work really hard to get a co-founder. You know, I think it helps you as an individual. It helps the business. There's no way one human can be good at everything. So, so I think, I think those are the things. And one other thing I'll just did, and this is a tiny tip, but I think it's a good one. I moved my phone across the room that my charger this is the last six months so that it is not next to my bed so that, you know, it's plugged in literally only 10 feet away, but I have to get up out of bed to go get it. And that has really helped me. So the last thing when I, before I go to bed is not checking that last email. It's either talking to my spouse or it's reading. And the first thing I do when I wake up, I'm not getting that good or bad news, which happens 
you know, every morning because we're on the West Coast. So it, it has made a difference. It's made my heart rate go down. I think I sleep better. And then it makes me think of something else just for a second before I jump in. Excellent advice. And we talked earlier about Kathy Calvin. Uh, I'd like to shift gears and talk a little bit about Ted Turner, another amazing, amazing leader. I'm looking at uh, Call Me Ted on my bookshelf right now across the room. And how did you form that relationship or how did you start to learn from Ted? Well, first of all, you'd be on time. That man, the first thing he said to me is you can't always be right, but you can be on time. So he's always early to everything. He values time so much that at one point he stopped wearing shoes with laces because he counted how many hours across his lifetime that would waste versus slipping them on. So Ted, Ted's amazing. You have to keep up with him. He is a mile a minute thinker, always 10 things going on at once. One thing I've, many things I admire about him, but one conversation within an hour was about business. The next was about his passion for the environment, then the UN, then back to business. Also, the man can monetize anything. I've never seen anything like that. He, you know, wanted to save um, bison herds. So he did, but then he had so many bison, and then they had to figure that out. So he starts Ted Fontana's Grill and ends up, you know, buying his own bison and selling it and then putting that money back into conservation you know, solar, wind, oceans. I mean, he's just, he's incredible. But I always, you know, admired his focus on that time is your biggest asset. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. I went from working for a man like Ted who has no filter. Everything is that's on his mind is out in the world, which I really admired to a man like Michael Dell, who's very measured, conservative, more quiet. And I, I think they're both exceptional humans who have very different leadership styles. Very cool. And you mentioned passions there. I've heard that you're a bit of an equestrian expert. I don't know what the right the right term is here. So I, I've been looking into this more and more, you know, for personal interest, whether it's like equestrian therapy, I'm very interested in the idea that the future of therapy is with animals. Um, but I would love to hear, how did you get connected? And is this something that you're still doing today? Or is, what are your passions basically outside of work? Sure. So I grew up on a horse and cattle ranch uh, in Texas, South Texas, so it's what you do. But um, I, I got really into competitive riding, rodeo, equestrian. It's how I paid for school. It was how I kind of got my jump start on life. But what's amazing about horses is they're just so huge and so much power. And the fact that you can develop a relationship, a trust, and a control it's pretty powerful. And the second you don't pay attention, you're going to have a problem is the other side. Horses are a lot like people. There's smart ones. There's not smart ones. There's mean ones. There's soft ones. But they, they certainly, you know, I, I competed through college. And then from then, it's always just been a, a passion and a social passion. Ironically, in the Peace Corps, we were commissioned horses because there was no vehicles where we were. Hmm. So that was, they were back in my life again. And then I actually just got to fulfill a dream. I went on a, a full African safari on horseback on this, this huge warm blood horse running past leopards. I just, it was <laughs> unbelievable. So, um, so horses and then the oceans, I, I'm an advocate for clean oceans, scuba diving, sustainable fishing, anything to do with the oceans. I'll, you'll see me, any country I'm in, go out and find their ocean and go fishing. And I love it. Very cool. And 
As we move towards the end of the interview, we like to have a lightning round where we ask a series of rapid fire questions. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Go. All right. Favorite nonfiction or fiction book that you've read in the last two years? I am Pilgrim. Favorite series on Netflix, HBO, or do you not watch TV? Game of Thrones. All right. Favorite app on your home screen right now? Slack. What's a radical idea you have about the future of business? That it will be led by women. What is your vision in the next five to 10 years for Alice? So we will have helped 6 million small business owners scale. I love it. Elizabeth, and final thoughts here. Is there any call to action, thought experiment, or final thing that you want to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I want to encourage folks to really lift up small business owners that are, are the new majority. So that could be shopping uh, and a small business owner that's owned by a woman or person of color. It could be investing in one, making an overt decision that if you have 10 loan applications in front of you, or at least half of those, the new majority, maybe volunteering your time. If you're an accountant, help with small business owners where they're accounting. I think if all of us just do something that we could really pull in this next set of leaders, which would be really exciting. And if you need help doing that, come to HelloAlice.com. We're free and we're here for everybody. I love it. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being generous with your time. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.